Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. You know, it dawned on me today that this episode and a couple others that are coming up will be the end of season one and the first full year of Living the Sky Life. I cannot believe it. This year has flown by. I've met so many amazing people. It's been so much fun. I'm pumped for season two and year number two. So today's episode is no different. I have the opportunity to talk to another powerhouse mom, Nancy Campbell. Um, She has been married to her husband, Matt, for 21 years, and together they have three amazing kids. Avery is 18, Isaac is 12, and Emma is 11. Nancy currently works as the principal of the Prosser Career Education Center located uh, here in the area where I live um, in New Albany, Indiana. Nancy holds degrees in family and computer sciences, as well as child development and family life. Her oldest son, Avery, was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, um, but they noticed some significant changes in his behavior around 18 months of age. Avery um, received services through First Steps of Indiana for oral apraxia and a cognitive developmental delay. He's also had intense ABA therapy and some other interventions along the way, which have all shown great benefit for Avery. His siblings are a huge support for their big brother and their parents. So please enjoy my episode with Nancy Campbell. So today's episode, I have a distinct opportunity to talk with Nancy Campbell. Um, I was actually introduced to Nancy through another guest I had on the podcast, Amy Schindler. Um, And it's so phenomenal to meet these women that are powerful autism moms um, in my same community that I didn't even know were here. So this podcast has generated a lot of new friends and connections, which is so worthwhile. So please um, welcome Nancy to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Lori. I'm so excited to spend some time with you um, talking about Avery and and my family's journey. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Well, I always kind of like to start with the backstory um, of Avery's diagnosis and just kind of how that all came to be. He's obviously your your firstborn, Mm -hmm. so it was all new to you like it was with me with Skylar, and they're close in age. So yes. back in the two, early 2000s, we didn't have a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of resources. So I, I would love to hear how your journey started. Absolutely. Um, I had Avery May 27, 2002, which seems not that long ago, but long ago, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. just been, it's been a journey. Um, and you're correct. I mean, during that time, we didn't have a lot of information. And, you know, thinking back, and, and I do find myself every once in a while, finding my mind drift back to that time, you know, um, 
even going back to the birth and everything, trying to figure some things out and decoding and everything. But Avery um, was and is a beautiful young man, a beautiful baby. Um, I can remember that day having him and just thinking, you know, Avery Jackson Campbell, doesn't that sound like the next president of the United States? Just thinking, <laughs> you know, what yeah. a wonderful, strong name for this, for this kiddo. And, and he definitely has lived up to that showing his strength, but in different ways, uh, very different than what you originally may have as a dream for your child when, when they're born. Um, typical development um, through the first 15 to 18 months. Um, very healthy, extremely healthy. Uh, no uh, signs with physical uh, for as far as large or small motor development. Mm -hmm. It was about 18 months um, when we saw definite changes in behavior. We saw loss of words. Now, there, there weren't a ton of words, but there were words. And we saw a complete loss of those words at about 18 months. It was almost like the child that I had was no longer there looking back. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I have a degree in child development and I, I was baffled. I was trying to figure it out. And I guess looking back at that time, the signs were there at about 18 months to 20 months. But in my mind, I'm thinking, no, it can't be autism. It can't be that because he shows me eye contact because he is you know has great balance because he can do certain things and i guess um in some ways i was talking myself out of what i thought it could be and ultimately it was um so we we went through first steps um in indiana at about 20 months um, and we had first steps come into our home at that point we were told he had oral apraxia and he had um developmental delays, especially cognitive, in the area of cognitive delays. So we had some therapists come into home and honestly, looking back at that point, I found myself becoming very frustrated because again, I had this developmental therapist coming into the home doing things and playing games with my child. And I was doing those same things and playing those same games with my child and we weren't seeing any progression. So I was starting to get very frustrated at that point uh, in the state of Indiana, he would not receive any services through our local school district unless we got an official diagnosis of some sort. So Isn't that crazy. Well, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I tell people yeah, that and is. they're like, that is not, that's not a real thing. I'm like, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it is. Even it the really NOS doesn't count. Right. They, they won't give you anything. Which I always, and, and looking back on that, you're exactly right, because I remember thinking, oh, okay, so because he reaches a certain age, um, that delay that you said he has just all of a sudden goes away. So, you know, I was like, that's like magic. And I, and I, I was very frustrated with all that. As an educator in the state of Indiana, I was very frustrated with everything that we were having to go through at that point, hoops you'd have to jump through. And as you said, during that time, it was limited information and it, and I don't want to say it was um, shameful, but it was, um, you had to seek it out. People weren't as willing to share information as they are now, even parents. It was something um, I feel like at that point, we really didn't want to talk about with other people. Um, looking back on that now, I think that's crazy because I want to help as many families 
as many moms, siblings, grandparents, whoever I can help along the way and tell Avery's story. But back then you'd have to really work to seek those people out to give you the information you needed in order to navigate the waters. And so we found ourselves going through um, a series of um, tests. And I can vividly remember one day when we, um, my husband and I, Matt, we, we took Avery in for testing and he was seated across the table from this individual. And I was watching through a two-way mirror from the other room and she had a, some blocks and she'd throw them out on the table. And she'd say to Avery very sternly, what does this mean? And he was looking at her and he had big crocodile, crocodile tears and he wasn't talking. And I found her getting more frustrated because he wasn't talking. And I finally just lost it. And I said, he can't talk. He can't respond. You're not going to get what you need from this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I just remember that day thinking, if this is what it's going to be like, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. How old was um, he then? For that? He was about four years old. Did you get your diagnosis here locally or did you have to go to Indy like we did? To well, the I at the time lived in Indianapolis. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I didn't move here until this is my fourth year here in Southern Indiana. Okay. Um, so at the time we lived in Indianapolis and we um, at that point lived in Hamilton County. So we had to go through the co-op in Hamilton County at that point in order for that to take place. And so um, after that day of testing, we were called back into the table and it was very emotional because at that point you finally get that diagnosis that you know kind of inside that, yeah, my child has autism, but then you're told at that point, this is officially what that, what that is. And um, that was, I just remember that being an extremely emotional day because I felt like in, you know, in reflection, looking back, I don't know if I was actually given what those next steps were at uh -huh. that point, but I remember feeling, feeling extremely lost um, on an island when that meeting was over. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? Well, you said a little bit ago that you, um, you were noticing some developmental changes um, at about 18 months and you said to yourself, like, I don't think it's autism because of, you know, these various reasons. So was autism something that was discussed at all during your um, education? Because it sounds like that was a word that was familiar to you. Whereas, well, you know, someone yes. like me, I had never heard of it. So I, I wouldn't even have thought that in my head. Well, this is kind of an ironic twist to how this all took place. At that time, I was um, teaching at a high school in the Indianapolis area, and my um, content area is family and consumer science education, the old home ec. Okay. <laughs> and my, my area of emphasis was early childhood, so I helped to run our early childhood program, education program, where I had the high school students who would teach the little kids. So it was, it was wonderful. I felt like I had you know, I have a degree in child development, so I get to be with the littles, but then I also really enjoyed working with high school students, so I got the best of both worlds in that, in that class, and so at that point, my position at that high school was, um, it was basically, I got the pink slip that said you're reduced in force because of seniority in the corporation, and so the corporation at that time, they were doing some changes, 
they're adding um, some things at the middle school level. So those teachers were able to come up to the high school and kind of bump us that, that hadn't been there as long. And I was called in <laughs> to the office by my high school principal, my, my boss at that point, and he said to me, we want you to stay, but we want you to teach special education on an emergency license. We think you've got the skill set to teach these kids. And I said, okay, what does that mean? At this point, Avery was probably, he was about 12 to 13 months, I would say at that point. Okay. And so um, I said, well, what does this mean? And they said, well, what it means is you're going to have a room at that point, a self-contained room, and you're going to have um, students with all abilities. And so what basically when it ended was I had about 18 students at any given point that could fluctuate because some kids would go out and into other classes, but I had kids with autism. I had kids with Down syndrome. I had kids that were um, deaf, hard of hearing. I had kids with emotional disabilities all in that room. And so I worked very hard that year to develop curriculum to support their needs both academically, but most importantly, that social, emotional, and also independent skills using my uh, family consumer science degree. Little did I know that during that experience, I would be going through all this with my husband with Avery. So sometimes- Self-education. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know, again, in reflection, looking back, I think sometimes a lot of the time things are given to us in order yep. to help us cope with what's coming. Yep. And so, you know, so at that point, I remember coming home to, to Matt and saying, well, um, in order to keep my job so we can keep paying for this house um, and feed Avery, I got to teach special education, you know, and he was like, well, all right. But I threw myself all into it. And, um, you know, one of my most valued years in education in the classroom was during that time with those students. Um, but it also has given me so much that I can reflect on in helping Avery. And, and again, you don't know about how much you're learning until you have that time to look back on it. So that's when I got my most experience working with kids with autism is just by experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, that's, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, maybe have you always had that perspective? Cause now that our kids are so, so much older, like you, a lot of your sentences start the way mine do, like, well, in reflection or in hindsight mm -hmm. or thinking about it now, you know, it's, it's obviously easier to do now that they're older to think back, but, um, you know, did you kind of catch that education that you got and, um, the value in that at the time, or is that something that came to you later? Um, not in that year, but I can tell you um, when we started to um, experience some issues with Avery, uh, when we tried to transition him into the local elementary school, into the special education setting then, I started to pull from it because my experience sitting in an IEP, writing an IEP, I've never had to do that before, but I was writing IEPs. Yeah. Um, that experience definitely helped guide me to the questions that I knew I should ask. Um, even if I knew what the question was, but I didn't know where that answer would take me, at least I knew to answer, ask those questions. Yeah, it's very sense. valuable. So, um, you know, but it, it definitely helped. And I think the, the 
confusing uh, where, well, it, it was all confusing, but I think the thing that makes it even more confusing, I guess, was the fact that I also had a spouse who I was trying to help and educate as far as what we needed to do for Avery. He, and we're trying to work together as a team, but I just knew enough to, to know what to say and to ask for, but I really didn't know what those next steps were. So when he would say, okay, well, what does that mean a year from now? I would look at him and be like, I have no idea. Right. Um, you know, I have no idea what that means. So that's where it started to get a little bit more um, crazy, I guess, um, especially when you added more, the more uh, pieces and elements you add as they got, as they start to get older, that's when it becomes more evolved. I mean, it's just a bigger web uh, and, you know, more to navigate. And I think that's where it becomes more confusing. Uh, looking back then, it, it felt overwhelming and crazy but to be honest fast forward now to him being 18 and I'm going for guardianship and uh -huh. you know so it, it's like oh I thought that was crazy this is insane you know trying uh -huh. to navigate this this path so did he remain then in a public school setting um where I mean was he always in a like a um was he included in the regular mainstream classrooms or was he in a self-contained room most of the years or how did that development look? Well, that was interesting too, because being a school person, I felt like at that point we needed to try the school setting. And, you know, mm -hmm. I felt like we would be able to get what he needs through that school setting. What I found out very quickly is that wasn't going to happen. And so we, we were really looking for what our outside resources, resources were. And so we tried um, a few local places in Indianapolis that said that they specialize in working with children that had special needs. And we found very out very quickly that when Avery would have a behavior, it was a phone call and, hey, I just don't think this is the best setting for him. Um, so that was disappointing. That happened a couple of times. So then we would you have to really rely again upon the local school, elementary school, to provide that early childhood in, in that. And he was in a self-contained room. And we were making zero progress, zero pro progress. Um, and it wasn't until, and this is just a whole nother element to this, uh, and a lot of people, when I tell them this story, they think, number one, they think Matt and I are crazy. But we went, it was, um, a local signing, we, we watch UFC. This is crazy where this is gonna go. We watched the <laughs> UFC and there was a local fighter in Indianapolis by the name of Chris Lytle and he fought in the UFC and he was signing autographs. And so Matt was like, hey, let's go meet this guy, Chris Lytle. So we go up and he's sitting there with his, his wife, um, Kristen, who they're just an awesome couple and um, I have never met a stranger. It's just who I am. I just start talking and I'm thinking, oh, he might be good at this point to come talk to students to, you know, about setting goals and motivation. So I start talking to him. Well, through this conversation, Chris tells me that his youngest child has autism. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Our <laughs> oldest child has autism. So we start talking and he told me about this thing called ABA therapy. I had never <laughs> heard of ABA therapy at that point. So I say to him, would you mind meeting with me not only about coming to talk to my high school students, but could you talk to me a little bit more about this ABA therapy? He's like, absolutely. It was a game changer for us. 
So through a connection with him, we found um, out about ABA therapy. We found uh, the local, one of the local providers for it. And we started that process. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't until Avery entered ABA therapy, ABA therapy full time, where we really started to see progress um, with everything from attention to behaviors and it was rough there for a while i mean the, the the behaviors i know you and i briefly talked about this but the behaviors um that avery displayed between ages five to i would say about eight nine years old at times they were very intense very aggressive um, you could just tell there's so much frustration because he was not able to communicate um, his needs and, and, and it was just too much to take in and he didn't know how to regulate it. And through the work with our ABA therapist, we were starting to see some sun, sun rays were starting to come through the clouds. It was like, oh my gosh. And, and we were able to help, help him more so than what we ever were before, besides just sitting back and getting emotional about it, we were able to engage with him during a behavior to help redirect or even to spot the signs, the triggers before they would happen. So that was awesome. And it was also during that time that we started um, equine therapy. And um, in fact, he got, was on the horse and they walked him around to me. It was one day after school and um, Avery was already at therapy. And so I, I, roll up and I'm like, oh, Avery, look at you on top. And he came up to me and he said, hi, mama. And I'll never forget it. He hadn't oh. said hi, mama ever. And I just about went to my knees and I'm thinking, I would do. Oh <laughs> you know, at that point I looked at my husband and I said, he's doing this every day. If he's going to talk, he's on a horse all the time, you know? Uh, but at that point we pulled him out, out of elementary school. He went to ABA every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and fortunately enough that, um, I had a pretty good insurance plan at that point through my job that we were able to do that. Um, and so it was pretty intense. I mean, there were days when the therapist would call and they're, you know, they would say, Hey, you know, we only got a couple of things done today because we were in a behavior most of the day, but we worked through it and, and we were able to end the day on a good note. I, I don't know, Lori, if you ever felt this way, but Matt and I, we always had this fear there for a while that somebody would call, call us and say, Avery was no longer welcome. Yeah. Every day. I think about yeah. it every day. I mean, yeah. when you just said that they um, said, you know, he didn't get much done, but he had behaviors and we worked through them. I mean, literally Josh and I get a note every single day emailed to us. And I mean, down to like how many BMs he had, because we have yep. to track everything with his belly. And, but they, you know, it, it brings, brings me down at the end of the day to read like, well, there was a lot of physical aggression today. There was a lot of this or whatever. Cause I'm like thinking the same thing as you, one of these days, their patience is only so thick and you know, right. they're going to just say, I just don't know that this is the place for him, but that's the beauty of thinking that the very next second, I think that's not going to happen. These people are the most amazing people are. in the world. They have a patience level and just the ability to want to, to care for our kids and get the best out of them, no matter what the hair pulling, the everything they go through, 
Yeah. There is a special place in heaven for them. Really. I totally believe that. And I will say to you that we, as the Campbell family, think of Avery's therapist, each and every one of them as part of our family. We always uh -huh. greeted them that way. Um, the, and there is one that stands out more than ever. And her name is Danielle. She is she was you talk about tough love i mean i can remember we matt and i took avery and isaac at this point emma was off with my sister having a girls weekend and i had a meeting in brown county so matt's like hey let's just take the boys and i'll take the boys out and they can hike with me or whatever and you know it pretty much avery could be in his world too there and, and we'll be all right so we take him to Brown County and we went into this restaurant and they are known for pizza and we sit down and Matt and are like, hey, this is awesome. Avery's sitting here with us. We're enjoying pizza in here. So I snapped this picture and I send it to Danielle and I'm like, look how good Avery's doing. And you know what her response was? Why did you cut Avery's piece of pizza? He can do that himself. And you know, I was, and I looked at Matt and I said, dang it, she called me out, but, but I needed that. I needed mm -hmm. someone to call me on those things to remind me that my son was very capable, more than capable of doing, you know, these essential independent skills on his own and that I needed to, you know, push him to be able to do that. And it was okay if it was a struggle, but because he could do it. And I, I mean, she would call me on everything, but she was also <laughs> one of the greatest advocates we, he's ever had and continues to be that way, even though she doesn't work directly with him anymore i still know that if i have a question or a concern she will help direct me fortunately we've had nothing but awesome experiences and even if we've had a therapist that hasn't connected with avery right away because i do feel, believe with aba it is about that connection and that relationship building and trust building that um, between the individual and the therapist even if that hasn't happened right away those individuals that choose to do this day in and day out mm -hmm. you're exactly right they they do have a special place in heaven and they will forever hold a special place in my heart for sure that's why it's so hard and traumatizing almost for for us when somebody that is a caregiver for us or a therapist and they clearly have lives of their own even though i like to think they don't um and they move on right. and they get married or they have a baby and they don't come back or whatever i'm like i'm devastated just because oh, yeah. we know how long it takes for them to build trust with our our kids and so that you know everything is functional I mean, it takes skylar months to really mm -hmm. follow the lead of someone that's a new therapist he just kind of hazes all of them you know oh <laughs> so. yeah <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, when we decided to move to Southern Indiana and leave the center that we were um, going to, um, it, it, I mean, that was one of the decisions. It was very tough at that point because we didn't know what Southern Indiana had to offer. Now, that center opened up another branch here in Southern Indiana. So we were able to continue that, um, which was great. But with new therapists so again he had not only when we when we moved did he have to learn a new environment and everything that a new school everything that that has to offer but also work with new therapists but fortunately that that center we felt like has been very strong and has a great plan and a great team and that's just been very fortunate for us and i did struggle with insurance to be honest with you for that first six to eight months because it was a different insurance but we battled through that mm -hmm. and we've got that you know established but 
Um, yeah, ABA therapy, looking back, without ABA therapy, I honestly don't know where we would be with Avery. I don't know where Avery would be. Um, I don't know where I would be as his mother because I've learned so much through that. And again, you know what? That's hard, Lori, for me to say because for the longest time I kept saying, I have a degree in this, man. I have a degree in how kids develop. I work with children everybody else's children every day. And I come up with plans to help their children. How come I can't help my own kid? And, and that was very difficult for the longest time. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, as you say, ABA was, has been pretty much a godsend for Avery. You know, we've been doing it, gosh, since Skylar was, I think eight years old is when we um, found a standalone ABA program too. And and now we're in a different one, but he's only gone to ABA centers um, since the age of eight. And of course, now he's 17. Um, and it's, it's worked. It's not as fast as, of course, I would like because, you know, of, co of course, I want him to be, quote unquote, like, you know, fully functional, cured, whatever, of just being able to function, you know, and communicate with us. Um, and we've done hippotherapy, the equine therapy as well, and a lot of those things. And it's just that just tells you how unique this disorder is with every single ch child, because that didn't really do anything for us. But I hear so many success stories from, from people like yourself about, you know, equine therapy, just working wonders and ABA, just changing everything. And so I just always highly encourage people to try every single thing. If you can afford to do it, if it doesn't harm your child, you know, if it all works out and aligns mm -hmm. and you can find a way it's worth trying. Everything. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. It's gonna work. Yeah. You you don't. I mean, that's the like you just said. That's the um, the puzzle. You know, that's why we have the puzzle piece because you're trying to piece things together. I mean, it is a true spectrum. And um, you know, I can tell you from experience with working with individuals in a classroom setting that are all over the spectrum, and then looking at my child. You know, the one thing there's some similarities, but the one thing that really it holds them together is that they have a diagnosis of autism, but you know, there's just varying degrees and, and Matt and I, we had to go through, it was trial and error, you know, a lot of times. And even today, you know, it's, we've finally got ourselves to a mindset where it's like, okay, let's try it and see how it goes mm -hmm. or, you know, and if it doesn't work, all right, we got to pick up and leave, man. It's, we're not going to be able to stay here. Um, and we had to give ourselves permission to be able to do that. I mean, I can remember we were on a trip to Florida with my family. Avery was, oh, this, he was young. He was probably four at the time. And we went to this restaurant and, and it was open doors and the waves were crashing outside and the wind was going and there was music. And there was so much looking back again, sensory overload in the time I didn't recognize it. And Avery started to have the behavior and, I can remember just thinking, oh man, can you just sit and, you know, we really just want to sit down together as a family. Can you just pull it together, Avery? And at the time I'm thinking, do this, but we had to pick up and go. And I was, I was embarrassed at that point. Like mm -hmm. we can't sit, even sit for a meal with my family because he can't behave right. That's what I thought in my head. Now looking back, I'm thinking that was selfish of me to say you can't control that, you know, what's getting you triggered because I just wanted to sit and have a piece of fish, you know, that's right. You know, you can't but, beat yourself up though. I mean, no, we, all, we all do it. No. We all feel guilty and you know, 
Yeah, and I can try to describe to people that mama or well, there's typical mama guilt. I mean, you probably feel this with your daughter too, you know. Um, I I I feel this with my other two, that that mama guilt, and then I have that autism guilt. Um, (laughs) and, and and you know, that sometimes trickles down to the other two as well. Yeah, well, we're just glutton for punishment to ourselves. <laughs> we are, we <laughs> you know? are. Where is Avery now as far as verbalization? Is he um, fully verbal where you can understand what he wants and what he's asking for? Or is it kind of pieced together? Or It depends upon the day and what he okay. wants, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. There are days where the speech is like, you know, Matt and I look at each other and we're thinking, wow, did you hear him? I mean, he was able to to communicate and verbalize everything very clear, distinct. And then there are other days that it's very broken. It kind of depends upon where Avery is, but also what he wants and what he's trying to tell us. So, and how motivated he is to tell us what he needs. Um, But it is a blessing. You know, we, we've said, when Avery asks for something, he's going to get it because for the longest time, he wasn't able to ask for it. And he doesn't ask for much, you know, um, and, and that'll is another story with the, with the other two kids. But when he looks at you now and when he's able to say, come on, mom, and he use, he has a great sense of humor. Um, and sometimes it seems very simplistic, but I get it. And, and that twinkle on his eye when we're, when we're really in tune and, and, can we can communicate to each other it's an amazing thing because I never thought I would have that I never thought I would have that um with him Mm -hmm. Um, but it is sometimes broken well it's nice to be able to have a connection though with him um you know you mentioned your other kids and and I want to call out to them Isaac is 12 and Emma is 11 and I had the pleasure of meeting Emma at my book signing um she is just precious she is such a sweet (laughs) sweet little girl. I just kind of wondered what, um, what their connection is and what their relationship is, um, both Isaac and Emma with Avery. Um, it seems like they're very supportive, um, you know, and helpful and all of that. Um, has it always been like that? Well, they are. And first, thank you. Um, Emma is extremely sweet. Um, only when she's not, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, no, she's, she's wonderful. Isaac is wonderful. They, they're, we, we couldn't be more proud of those two. Um, there is an age difference. Avery's 18, Isaac is 12. And, you know, obviously, well, I think it's obvious. I mean, we're going through a lot of challenges at that point. And I think, you know, Matt and I were trying to decide whether we were going to be able to, to really handle financially, emotionally, physically, um, having another child. We wanted more kids, but we just didn't know if we were in the place to do that. So um, when we had Isaac, I'll be honest with you, when I found out I was having another boy, I was scared to death because yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, my, my, the risk, you know, for him to, to also have autism is there. And so I, I was scared through my pregnancy. I, um, was hypervigilant about things. Um, I just, I was just overly cautious. And so um, I will say when I, when I had him, I did spread out his immunizations. That yeah. was just my, my choice um, with that. Cause I was just trying to do everything I thought that I could do to, to assure that I did everything I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge adjustment for Avery to have a sibling in the house. Also, 
this thing that was in the the crib that would cry and would hit octaves that I know yeah. sensory level that just drove Avery through the roof, you know, it was like, oh my gosh. And so at that point, we did a lot of work with the therapist, you know, and there's a new baby in the house. And to this day, a baby's cry is a trigger for Avery. Really? And so, yeah. And so we really work on that. Um, but then we knew, and Matt and I knew that it was going to be good for Avery to have siblings. Just, we kept telling ourselves that it's going to be good for him. You know, he's going to need this. And ironically, when, when Isaac was, you know, toddling around, um, we could see that Avery was in tune with what we were really working with Isaac on. And that's when we saw more speech and things like that, that were coming along. And so that seemed to be a positive. We knew we wanted to have another kid. We just didn't realize that we were going to get pregnant with Emma when Isaac was six months old. <laughs> so <laughs> God had a different plan for you. <laughs> God had a different plan. So yeah. So they're 16 months apart and, um, and that was, that was interesting. It proved, you know, it was kind of like, are you kidding? We gave ourselves this challenge, you know, it was like, how are we going to handle this? Um, but when Emma was born and I, and when I thought I was having a girl, I knew that I had the package in my mind. It just felt like that was the bow. We've, you know, we've tightened this, this bow, we've had this package and I just knew that Isaac and Emma would be very important to Avery. And I think, now he's proved to be very important to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, and I can get a little emotional about it. Um, because, <laughs> and I do, because I think there are days when I worry about the, the, the burden, I guess. Oh, know, I get with, it. You know, I what's totally going to happen it. when that, that type of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but Isaac and Avery now, they do what boys do. They do what brothers do. They, Isaac's a wrestler. So <laughs> Avery will run upstairs. He's like, Isaac, time to fight. Let's wrestle. You know, so then <laughs> they get on the floor and they start going. And for when that first started, I was so scared because I was like, Isaac, if Avery's switch gets flipped, you're in for it, man. You're Because I'm telling you, the strength that that boy has in his body, it's unbelievable when he gets flipped and that switch gets flipped. So, but they have so much fun, just, you know, roughhousing. That's what siblings do. And I finally had to tell myself that's normal. That's what they do. Let them do it. And so um, they have that connection. And then Emma has always been Avery's princess. I think he thinks of her as a Disney princess because Disney is so important in Avery's life. Uh, Emma is, you know, Ariel. She she is Belle. She's all of that tied up in one. He wants to protect her. He loves her. He's like, come here, Emma, give me a hug, you know? And uh, Emma, this is, even when Emma is being a little naughty, he'll say, Emma's so silly. She's so sweet. And you're like, really, Avery, you don't have to <laughs> protect her in this, but yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and we rely upon them, you know, even now, like um, they help take care of him. They make sure that he's making you know, good choices when we're not around. Um, they make sure that he's being looked after. Um, they go to get him to be a part of the group. Um, and I think that's huge, especially for that age group to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, and it's, I'm sure you've thought this way too, but 
like you said before about guilt, I mean, there's times, obviously there's a lot of times, especially uh, my kids are, you know, only two years apart. So they're very close in age. And there are times that I think, gosh, you know, I just feel so bad for Kendall that, you know, she just doesn't have a traditional relationship with a neurotypical sibling, like everybody else we know and all of that stuff. And, but I can't imagine this family without another child. Like I, I know my personality and, and how I am and just to be consumed every single day with autism, something, mm-hmm. um, not to have that outlet with another child, whether she was on the spectrum too, or just whatever. I just, I, I, I highly encourage people to really, really think and have the conversation from every possible angle with their spouse about having more children because yes. your family just, it isn't complete, you know, always, if you just worry about having another child on the spectrum and you stop, that's probably not the plan for you. And, um, I just know I could not imagine my life without Kendall. And I'm sure you feel the same way without Isaac and Emma. It's just, it gives you an outlet. We all need a break from autism a little bit. And unfortunately our autistic children can't get a break from it, No, but we just are better mothers, you know, being able to do quote unquote, normal things, you know, with our other kids, it's it's a welcome break. It is a welcome break. And and they both have their own um, interests and their skill set. And besides being a boy and a girl, I mean, it goes much deeper than that. Like I mentioned, Isaac really enjoys wrestling and he really enjoys um, being with his friends and doing and, and all things sports right now. And just, um, he has a great sense of humor too, and that goofiness about that preteen, um, you know, that goofy middle school age. You know, <laughs> one, one of the reasons why I never thought I'd ever, and I never did teach middle school because of that goofy boy, you know. Yes. And I'll be honest, I'd never experienced that because we didn't have that with Avery. And so, you know, it's been fun, um, even during the puberty um, you know, outbursts and emotional outbursts that you, that he may have at being 12. It's been good. It's been good to be able to go on a Saturday morning to a wrestling meet and be able to celebrate him, um, and have that little break. And then Emma, she is all girl for sure, but you know, she, um, is an Irish dancer. And she excels in that. She know that. runs cross country. Yeah, she excels in that. And it's something that, um, I mean, she's got red hair, you know, my yeah. mom's from Scotland, Ireland, but I know we've got that Irish blood in it. And it just seems like a natural fit. And she's very good at it. And she has excelled in that. So that's been so good for her to have her own little niche. And you know what, for both of them to have something where they can also escape and to, to um, achieve in and have their friends in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and doing that because honestly, like, and I know you've experienced this, you really sometimes, if you're going to do something truly as a whole family, you have to pick and choose what that is. And sometimes looking back, you think, well, we missed out on this because we really couldn't do that with Avery. And we've also given ourselves permission to say, there are some things we're going to do with Isaac and Emma, and it's okay if Avery's not a part of that. Yep. And that yep. took a long time to get to that point. Um, you know, you take a picture and, and you're at, uh, you know, like a Louisville bats game and you're, you're there having fun. And then when people say, well, where's Avery? Not to feel guilty because Avery couldn't do that that night. Mm-hmm. 
and, and to get past that. So, um, or to go to a, you know, a birthday party and Avery's not there, but we took everybody else in and to say, well, he couldn't be a part of that right now. And that's okay. So, and, and that's where that guilt sometimes can creep in if you let it, but mm -hmm. you know, it's truly what's best for him. It's crazy though. I mean, and I get it where people are coming from. They're not even thinking about it. Probably like, you know, nonchalantly saying, where's Avery? But I really wish people would think about that a little bit before they oh, say yeah. that to make you feel bad. I mean, clearly if he's oh, yeah. not there, it was a choice and exactly. he's doing something else or he's somewhere else. I don't think you have to ask, where is he? If he's not in the picture, I mean, he's exactly. clearly not there. <laughs> so. Exactly. And you know, I, I, I've saw this one time when I was doing professional development with my staff on PBIS supports, positive behaviors, um, intervention supports, where they talked about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that comes in sometimes. And I've allowed myself to educate people more by saying to them, you don't have to give me sympathy. I don't want your sympathy. Now, if you want to empathize with me, great. You know, uh -huh. if, if you see that I'm in the midst of trying to work through a behavior with Avery, instead of saying, I'm so sorry about that. If you say to me, can I hold your purse while you're dealing with that? Yeah. That's what I need at that point. And, um, and I think too, as time has gone on, we have found a social group that is accepting of that. Mm -hmm. And, and that realizes when Avery doesn't come, it's not, you know, why it's, oh, I understand. And <laughs> words unspoken and we don't have to do that. Um, and I, and I think you're right about that. Sometimes I just want to look at people and like, yeah, do you think I really want to leave my kid at home? <laughs> you know, I, I would love to have a great family picture along the river here at this game, but we're not going to get it. And that's okay. So. Yeah, no, I hear you. That's, that's awesome. I, I think that's cool and a, and a great way to handle it to just try to, you know, teach empathy versus sympathy because yeah, I mean, I don't want pity yet. <laughs> I'm fine. I love yeah, my I'm kid. Okay. You know, yeah. I'm good. I just could use a little hand every once in a while because he's bigger just than me. a little me. bit. <laughs> but uh, um, switching gears just a little bit, I know you're the principal um, at Prosser. So can you kind of explain a little bit for those who don't live around here, um, sure. you know, what Prosser is? And then, you know, I talked to Amy a little bit about her son, Brayden, and, and the yeah. program that he attends at Prosser that he absolutely loves, the culinary arts part. So yeah. Well, it's a passion. It's, I, I totally will talk to you about Prosser. Um, it's, as I said, I'm a trained family consumer science teacher. So that's that old home ec. And in my world, that's in part of career and technical education. And um, in the state of Indiana and other states, we have um, career and technical education districts. And in southern Indiana, they put those together, and we have um, a district of 45, which serves six counties. And with that, those six counties, we have over 20 high schools that can feed into Prosser, and we provide the career and technical education classes, everything from what you mentioned, culinary arts, to welding, to health careers, which would be your pre-nursing, CNA, to um, auto tech, um, cosmetology, um, computer networking. We have over 20 career programs offered here at Prosser, the majority of which are tied to what's called a dual credit. So at the same time the student is earning their high school credit, they can earn a college credit. 
majority of which are also tied to um, state licenses or certifications or both. And so um, it's, it's a privilege to work with um, our high school students in this area because we're providing not just a necessary skill set, but we're providing um, a way for our students to achieve and also to not only get possibly be employed, but also go on to a university to continue their education that way. With Braden, it's been unique because um, although, like I said, we have college level courses here on the majority of our programs with in Braden's situation, we're able to also assist our students that need to fine tune some of their skill sets in order to take those next steps, uh, which in his case would be, you know, in the, in the area of hospitality and to know Braden. Um, it's just like I say, to know Avery is to love him and to understand him, to know Braden is the same thing. Yep. And he's just a ray of sunshine. And so um, when he, when his goal here is to get that skill set so he can move on. Um, and also, I feel like it's been so cool, not just to work with Amy, because Amy's just amazing and her whole family is amazing, but to work with families like ours to, um, figure out what that next step's going to be. And is it going to be truly realistic? You know, I joked at the beginning and said, Avery Jackson Campbell, the next or president of the United States. Right now, I need to focus on what the reality is going to be. And uh -huh. sometimes, you know, when we have a child and they have a special need, it's, it's that um, grieving period of what you thought life was going to be looking like and adapting to what it will look like. And so we really try to work with our students because, you know, if you have a child who can't drive for whatever reason, even though you might own all these pieces of um, heavy equipment like that bulldozer, that may not be the reality for them. But we're going to find the reality and a good skill for them in order to be successful and independent. Do you have a lot of special needs um, young adults that attend Prosser? We have a good percentage, and I say a good percentage because that, it, just like autism is a spectrum, we have a spectrum of what those special needs are for our students. So we'll have students, what I um, will say, are non-diploma tracked, and with that number is very few because with that, you have to think about, again, that reality, and are, are your students able to be independent in, in a school, traditional school setting? So um, in Braden's case, he's so independent. I mean, he could go to another class and do just fine with very limited supports. But if we have a student that needs to go to a class and has lots of supports still needed in order to function in that type of environment, Prosser may not be the best setting for them at that point. Mm -hmm. But then we have students that may have an IEP and a disability, but they're able to function at that level, um, but they still need that skill set. And to earn a certification or a license, is just going to help them that, with that next step. They may not go on to college, but they may, or they may go on to that um, place of work and continue their training and education through that place of business that they're working for, which sometimes we find a lot with our, with our students. So I was going to ask you that too. Um, you mentioned IEPs. So when they're at the high school level, is that something that you participate in and try to help figure out with the parents and with the student where their path may lead, like what, what would be the best program at Prosser for them? And if it isn't, you know, an adequate program for what they, what they can able, you know, be able to do, do they have an IEP or how do you determine what 
you know, program would be the best for them at Prosser? Sure. We do um, a lot of what I call outreach. I have an amazing counselor that works with the sending school counselors. And so they know what the programs are and we invite them in to see what they are and to get that firsthand feeling and, um, also that visual of what it looks like in the program so they can see for themselves. So if they have a student that says, I have an interest in culinary arts, but let's say that student has some real um, sensory issues and they can't stand loud noises or they can't be around heat or they, you know, well, the kitchen's probably not gonna be the best place for them. Right. So we really work hard with that school personnel to actually get that firsthand um, sight feel everything, use their senses in the room. So then when they have the conversation with both the student and the parent, they can say, you know what, that might not be the best place, but this could be the best place for them. And also just not to default to certain programs because, well, all else fails. We really also work to say, maybe Prosser is not the best fit at this point, but it could be at a later time. Mm -hmm. And, and really too, talk and try to work with the student to see what their true interest is and really what they want to do. Because I am a firm believer and always have been, even when I was working in the traditional school, I used to tell my students, make effective elective choices when you're in high school. Really think about your interests and what those next steps are going to be in order to get all the training you possibly can to go on to the next level. And so I really try to work with parents on that too. I've given permission to several people in my family and my friends in my tight circle to hit me in the face with a reality stick. When I start throwing out these things for Avery and I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to do this and that. And then I'm, bring me back to reality here because it's not going to do any good for him or me if we're not thinking about what those legit next steps could be for them. And I'm not saying you can't, dream or think big about what those next things are but you know you got to be realistic with it too well i think if you go too far out the other direction then you um you get disappointed when they can't possibly reach that, that goal you set so far away that you need to take the steps ahead of that goal and you know you can still set that goal and and make that your mission to achieve it whenever that is it might take them 10 years to get there instead right. of, you know, a month like you hope for. So, yeah. And another, you know, you have to keep thinking back to that individual that you're working in with too, because you don't want them to get so frustrated that they never do seek success. And it's yeah. just another wall or another barrier for them. So you want to create, you know, I, I don't want to set a student up for failure. I want to set them up for success. That's always kind of like my driving force here. And I'm rather err on the side of the child than the adult if that makes sense <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. you know so even you know sometimes when we have the best intentions it's like okay we really got to think about what the reality is for them um in Brayden's case it's been nothing but positive for him at this point you know um you know and unfortunately we've got this whole thing that we're trying to navigate through this COVID situation the pandemic and that just brings you to a whole different yeah. element a whole different level and you know education right now looks completely different and you know nobody I know has ever taught through a pandemic so we're all trying to figure this out together and what's best for kids and and our own children and we you know wake up doubting the choice that we made and but at the end I know we're going to get through it and if again if we're keeping the best interest of the student the child my son, you know, if I'm thinking about it from that perspective, then, you know, that's what we got to go with and guide us. Yeah. And that's, what's the challenge for, for all of us. Um, 
especially uh, with special needs kids is that the delay and the regression that a lot of them are facing because they can't go into a building or do any of the things that are normal to them, their routine is off. So it's, it's a real challenge, regardless of the age of your child. Oh, I know absolutely. the parents with younger kids are really, really stressing out because they're like, I can't do the therapies. I can't, I mean, I can try, but I'm just not as effective. And, and our kids, I think we said it earlier with, um, you know, the therapies that we love and the therapists that we love. Skylar does not do anything the same that he does it for his ABA teachers and school. He oh, does yeah. what they say, but he looks at me like, no yeah. way I'm not doing that. I know I can, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's no, just I, like typical kids. Yeah, I so, see that with Avery too. No, I and, yeah. and the other two, you know, for that matter, when we were all at home in the spring and I'm trying to work from the kitchen table to navigate a whole school and the I have one across from me in tears because she can't figure out something. The other one's frustrated because he really doesn't want to get online. It's worthless, mom. And then <laughs> I've got Avery with teletherapy and the phone's freezing up and everything. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, it's just, <laughs> I was like, I, and it was funny because my, my husband is deemed essential. He works um, in pharmaceutical, um, uh, in pharmaceuticals and you come in and he would be like, so how was your day? What'd you guys do? Did you get to be able to do that? And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me right now? I mean, <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, this is crazy. And, <laughs> and it did force us to do a lot of family time. And, you know, again, you think back and I know there's going to be a time where I'm going to say, oh my gosh, I wish we were able to not have to have a meeting and go somewhere an event or that type of thing. And we were forced to stay at home again. But when you're living in that moment, it's like, our this is nuts. This is crazy. Well, I tried to have that attitude for several months in the beginning. Like, you know, I'm just going to embrace this because, you know, it's, it's finally weekends. I don't have to be at a dance competition every weekend. I'm not yep. constantly gone and I'm just overwhelmed and overrun and just all of that. I'm going to embrace the quiet and being forced to stay home and reconnect and all of that. Yeah, I'll be honest. That was great for a first couple of months. <laughs> then we were all looking at each other like, oh my gosh, if I have to look at you <laughs> one more minute for 24 hours a day, I'm going to lose it. I and, love my family, know, but get yeah, out of my we, office. <laughs> we did it all. all. We, had, we had family Olympics outside. I'm sure our neighbors got a true laugh after watching <laughs> me sprint through the yard. We, we had cornhole tournaments. We tie-dyed shirts. We... Um, we gave the kids writing prompts and they wrote stories and they did things like that, but it just proved to be very overwhelming at a certain point. And now we're just all eager to get back to the routine for sure. Yep. This world will never be the same. I think everyone will be saying, I remember where I was in 2020 <laughs> during oh, yeah, the, absolutely. the great absolutely. pandemic. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, well, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of the things that we've learned and that we would do differently if we could go back, but you know, just knowing what you've experienced as a parent of a special needs child and an educator, is there anything that you would, you know, tell your younger self or a parent that's starting to go through this for the very first time, they just got the diagnosis, um, that would really be helpful for their mental, <laughs> mental health yeah. and, and just anything that you would impart upon someone that's going through this from the beginning? Yeah. And, you know, when thinking about that, that's, it's almost like it's a difficult question in some ways because I'm still learning and I feel like I'm still growing yeah. and by connecting with you, by connecting with people like Amy, by connecting, you know, with um, my students, families, um, 
you, you learn something new every day. But I think going back, if somebody would have just taken me and looked at me in the eye and say, trust your instinct and, you know, have faith that you will get a support system that will help you through this. And this too shall pass. I had a, a breakdown one day. Um, I, I can't even tell you how old Avery was. He must have been probably five or six. And I was at work. And it was one of those days where we were offered an opportunity to go visit a new place before ABA. And Matt and I were thinking, how in the heck are we going to afford this? What are we going to do? And so I, I called my parents and I broke down and my dad said, he was like, um, okay, well, is Avery healthy? And I was like, yes, but, and he was like, oh, okay. Um, is he healthy? And I'm like, yes, dad. And he kept asking me these questions and he said, do you love him? And I'm like, that's ridiculous. You know, I love him. He goes, do you love your, yes, I do. He said, Nancy, you're going to be fine. And yeah. he just had to walk me through that and remind me of what truly was important at that time and that we would get through it. And it was okay to ask for help. Because like I said, too, I think at that point, it, it was, I almost felt like embarrassed to say that I had this child that had so many needs and I couldn't answer those questions or, or provide what it, provide what he needed at that point. And I needed help to, mm -hmm. to get through that. And that was a hard thing to swallow because I was mom. I was his mom and I should be able to take care of all of that. And so to just learn to trust and to, and to really recognize what you feel is right to do and to allow those people in who want to help um, and to understand that every, I think all of us at some point and still do feel a little bit of embarrassment, but get over it, man. You know, you're, you're there for a special reason and to be that parent and to help that, that individual is what your role is. And you've been special enough and to be chosen to, to do, do that for them. And, um, you know, I say a lot of times, and I work with a lady, her name is Linda. She was a teacher with me and she had twins. And one of the twins had Down syndrome and the other one uh, was on the spectrum. And, and I remember her saying what a blessing they were. And I remember really thinking about it and thinking, she is right. Avery is my blessing. And I say that a lot. He is a true blessing for us. And uh, he's made me view things in a different way and see things in a different light and to understand what, you know, really why we're here and what our mission is. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that's hard um, to, to bring yourself back to understand, you know, what that, what that means. And uh, I guess, Again, you know, if, if someone would have just looked at me and said from day one, he is a blessing, Nancy. I, I think that maybe would have taken the edge off a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that's all excellent advice. Trusting your gut, allowing people to help you. I was guilty of not doing that for a long, long, long time. And then also if you have, it's okay to have anger and resentment for all the things that would have been. Um, but it's healthy to release that, but just be angry at the disorder and angry at the, you know, the uncertainty of it all, but not angry at your child or that you have this child in your life. You know, that right. was a hard thing for me to wrestle with, but yeah. Um, and it still yeah. is. I mean, mm -hmm. I know there's probably going to be things as we navigate this adulthood life. Um, it's somewhat unchartered as well. And, you know, we'll get through it, you know, 
Um, we'll all get through it together. You, will. me, and Amy, at least. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have fun doing it, Lori. <laughs> you guys are like six to eight months ahead of me. So uh, I'll just take your lead. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy school day and uh, to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I, I want to thank you and I want to thank what you're, thank you for what you're doing because this is so needed to have these open and ca candid conversations and to allowing uh, individuals like us to just say in what our story is and where we've been, where we are and where we hope to be. So again, thank you for that. Absolutely. We can all learn from each other. <laughs> I'm an yes. open book as we, as we know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. We'll take care. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.